0: Welcome everybody to Resurrection Sunday here at Riverside. Welcome everybody online, at home, or in the fellowship hall there. So great to see everyone and to be together just to worship our risen Savior. There's nothing greater, is there, just to be in the reality of a living Savior who loves us, that desires to meet with us. Those three words, He is risen, truly changes everything. And yet I tend to wonder if that really resonates with every heart, is it something that kinda can feel disconnected thinking, well, that was a great historical moment, but what about today? What about in my life? And there's times where people can allow a lot of fears and doubts to crowd their heart from just the joy of recognizing and believing in a risen Savior. And he'd be in good company if that was the case because the disciples themselves were those that struggled on that very truth and reality. They're the ones that walked with Jesus. They're the ones that, that witnessed his miracles. That even heard him <laughs> several times. Say, listen, guys, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. And guess what? They're gonna beat me, mock me. They're gonna crucify me. But I'm gonna rise again the third day. The disciples heard that. And yet when it came down to it, on that first resurrection Sunday, their hearts were clouded with fear and doubt. In fact, let me take you to that first resurrection Sunday. Mark chapter 16, if you got a Bible with you, I hope you do, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. We're gonna look through a few different scriptures this morning, but we'll start here. And Mark 16, verse nine. If anybody needs a Bible, you like a Bible, hold up your hand and we're gonna hand out a Bible to you right where you're at if you need one. Hold up your hand, our ushers will bring you a Bible. Here's what we read in Mark 9, sorry, Mark 16, verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Verse 12, and... After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I wonder how often we let the things of the world begin to crowd our hearts from the reality of a risen Savior who's given us life and hope, eternal hope. And we fail to comprehend the, the meaning of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection for us today. In fact, I heard just this past week about this younger generation that's coming up to where they believe that there's nothing good that's ever gonna happen again. That's kind of the, the, the world, the society, the culture. They've kind of grown into. They'll blame the older generation. You know, You left us with a, a ruined climate, a heap of debt. The list goes on. But what you see is that there's a real lack of hope in many people today. But you see, it's the significance of today and the resurrection that we get to see and remind ourselves of the great Hope that we have, regardless of what might be going on around us, how we need to guard our hearts from unbelief and doubt. And look to the Savior who is alive today, that wants to do a work in your life and in your heart today. I want to look at some scriptures in the book of Colossians. If you want to make your way there, Colossians chapter two. And Colossians is a great book. It's a companion book of Ephesians, which we've been going through on Sundays here at Riverside. We just finished our study in Ephesians last Sunday. And and of course, Ephesians is such a rich book and there's a lot of similar um, passages in scripture in the book of Colossians. And I want to look at a few verses here today that, I hope begin to flood our hearts with some cheer and, and some hope here today because it's all wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in the passage I want to look at, Paul's warning the believers there at Colossus to not let anyone come in and, and begin to cast a, a shred of doubt or, or deception your way to make you doubt, to make you think, to make you wonder, is this resurrection thing any truth to it is there any purpose in it now paul's dealing with a lot of other things but i think the application for us is that we need to guard ourselves that we're not listening to lies untruths things that are not of the lord that would cause us to lack in hope and peace here today see we have life because Jesus is alive. And, and Paul wants to remind us here in this word what Jesus has done for us. Basically, we need to be able to determine what the resurrection means for us today. And not that I want us to be the focus, no doubt I want our eyes to be on Jesus, but I think the question can be asked, why does the resurrection matter? Why does the resurrection matter? Well, we're gonna look at three things today. First of all, the resurrection assures us of forgiveness. The resurrection assures us of peace and the resurrection assures us of victory. That's what we're gonna be looking at in in Colossians 2, but let me just back it up a little bit here. Colossians 2 verse eight is where we're gonna start at here and just to see again in verse eight of Colossians 2. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now, Like I said, there are many that are at work today trying to rob you of joy in Jesus today. Many things going on in the world today that would want to rob you of joy today. There's so much fear and doom and, and gloom that's going on. Last year we were dealing with a, a lockdown in churches and thinking just you know a few weeks to flatten the curve and here we are still in a lockdown. We flattened everything except the apparent curve. I don't know what's exactly happening, but um, you know we see all this stuff happening and unfolding and unraveling and it can tend to kind of unravel our own joy and hope in the Lord and just walking in that peace and, and victory we see. It's so easy to let the negativity that dominates the world begin to kind of dominate our own hearts. And here's where we need to take pause and stop and go, wait a second, man, it's because of what Jesus has done for us. It's because of who Jesus is, the fact that he's alive. The resurrection truly does change everything. Don't let anyone come and cast a, a shadow of doubt that Jesus is not alive or not at work in your present situation or that he doesn't love you or is not able to aid you in your situation. Man, all that is false and the resurrection, again, proves all of that. Continuing on in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I could have probably skipped that verse, not really the verse you wanna camp on for Easter Sunday, but we're not talking about circumcision like Abraham. We're talking about the flesh where we're, we're saying we're dying to the flesh, we're, we're putting away the old so the new can come and that's what Paul is getting to. He says, we're buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us. and He's taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them in it. So good. First of all, I want you just to to recognize here, between verses 11 and, and 13, how the emphasis Paul is preaching here is for you. He says, in him you also were circumcised, verse 11. Verse 12, in which you also were raised. In verse 13 he says, and you being dead in your trespasses. This is having forgiven you all trespasses. Do you understand what's happening here? Is that this is a word that is meant to bring life to you. This is a word that's meant to bring encouragement and hope to you. This is not just for some people out there. This is not just for an elite group. This is for you, and yes, Paul's writing that to the church at Colossum 2,000 years ago, but the application or the relevance of it for us is every bit as true today. This is something the Lord wants you to recognize and realize here of what you have in him. So first of all, here's why the resurrection matters. The resurrection assures us of forgiveness. We saw that there in verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, some people can easily just kind of wash over that and go, okay, great, yeah, that's for the real sinners. That's for the real wicked people, but nah, you know, not me. I've been brought up in the church. I've been a saint from birth, you know, and it's like, and sometimes we, we fail, first of all, just to even recognize, man, the work that Jesus had to do to, to save you and to forgive you, and that we all need forgiveness. Because the Bible says that, that there are none that are righteous. All have sinned. We've all been guilty before God because of sin. We're born into it. As much as you might think some of you are born a saint, no, you're, you're born a sinner. And we need forgiveness. And that's why Jesus came to this world. He came to this world to die on a cross. And when he died on a cross, what happened there is he was paying the penalty for your sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death. He needed to die so that we would not have to die in our sin. He died the death we deserved. He took our place on the cross. And when He died on the cross, He was receiving the judgment of God for our sin, your sin, my sin, that we were all guilty of. He was bringing about forgiveness for you and me because it's our sin that kept us separated from God. We needed rescue. Redemption, we needed reconciliation. We don't do that on our own. We can't achieve that through ourselves. We needed Jesus in the work he did. Sins need to be dealt with. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And as he went to the cross, it's kind of like there on the cross as he hung and paid the penalty for our sin. it's like he was writing that check out, saying your sins are forgiven. But that resurrection is like taking that check now to the bank and depositing your account, saying, all right, now it's yours. See, it'd be rather empty. Maybe we'd feel like the story was cut off a little short or did this really take if if he died and he's placed in the tomb and that's it. I'm sure many of us would be wondering, well, that was great, thank you, Jesus, but did that really count now for me? And yet Jesus burst through the grave. He rose again to show and validate that the work he did, paying the penalty for your sin and my sin, was accepted before God. He's alive today. To not just forgive you, but to bring you into the fullness of life that he has for you. Forgiveness, so important. A psychiatrist once said that, if I, I, they said, I could dismiss half of my patients if I could assure them of their forgiveness. Man. There are people that are are riddled with guilt. And they're lacking peace because they don't know that forgiveness. Now that brings us to our next point because the resurrection assures us of our peace. You see, it says there in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, there's a lot of people that might come to that point where they go, thank you, Jesus, yes, you died on a cross, That was a wonderful thing, but did you really have my sin in mind? Did you really comprehend or know what I'd be capable of doing? Can my sin actually be forgiven? I think there might be new sins that have been created since you died on the cross. Do those count too? And there's a lot of people that can bring themselves in a place of, again, lacking peace. And and then what happens oftentimes is that we feel like we gotta contribute, we gotta gotta work for it. We gotta earn our way. Oh, Jesus did the work, but now I've gotta really kind of complete it, do my part now, and I gotta earn my way to God. And you see, what happens in that is that when people are trying to work for their salvation, you never know if you're doing enough. See, what, what Paul points out here, is that there were the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He's referring to the law there. You can look at it as the 10 commandments, they added many other laws to it there, but what the law did is ultimately condemned us. Because, and and there's people today that still go, man, I gotta live by the law, I gotta live by the 10 commandments, gotta do all these great things. And, And they live by the law, but the law simply only can Bring in a condemnation because what you will inevitably find is that you're incapable of holding up the law and fulfilling it. And we get filled with guilt and condemnation, and there's no peace in that. Thank you for the forgiveness, but I don't feel like I have that forgiveness because we're striving in ourselves. And yet what Paul says is, listen, there were the the handwriting requirements that were against, but it says he's having wiped it out. He's wiped it out. See, when they would write in that day, they would take parchment and they would write on it, and that ink would never bleed through like it will in some of our, you know, writing formats and stuff. Well, I mean, for those that still use paper and pen, we have other means now, I guess, of writing. But parchment would never bleed through, and so you could take that ink and just kind of wipe it off. And you could take that parchment now and be like, brand new, it'd be like, it's never been used before. There'd be no marks on it. And that's what Jesus has done with our, our, our sin, the debt that we had because of the law that we couldn't fulfill. He's wiped it out. He's given us a clean slate now. And he's nailed these things that were contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He said, you couldn't live by the law. I'm gonna take that law. I'm gonna gonna put it on the cross with me. We're gonna die to the law so that we might live in and through Christ now. To where we recognize the forgiveness of sin doesn't come because I'm a good person. The forgiveness of sin comes because of my faith in Jesus and what he's done for me. I don't earn my way, I simply receive that free gift of salvation. There I can find peace. It tells us in Romans 6, if you want to make your way over there, in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. It says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dead to sin, but alive to God. It goes on and say in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. We're no longer having to live by the law and, and fulfill our own righteousness. It's given to you freely by God's grace. And when you receive that grace of God, salvation, forgiveness of sin, suddenly you experience the blessed peace of the Lord. It's no longer striving, it's simply abiding in Jesus. What a blessing that is. The resurrection assures us of our peace. The resurrection, lastly, assures us of victory. Notice what it says in verse 15, back in Colossians 2. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Oh man, we've been talking a lot about this as we wrapped up our study in Ephesians, as we talked about principalities and powers at work and yet how we're called to stand strong in the armor of God. See, we recognize that there is a spiritual enemy looking to wreak havoc in this world and to wreak havoc especially in the lives of believers today. It's safe to say that we're all witnessing, I would say, the times not getting any more good, but becoming more and more evil. There's an enemy the devil who's on the prowl. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's working behind the scenes, using principalities and powers to try and gain a victory. And his chief goal was to take down Jesus. In fact, he wanted to even just prevent Jesus from coming into the world being born. That's why Israel's constantly been, you know, uh, a, a target of destruction. But Jesus was born and he came for that one purpose, to go to the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin. As he went to the cross, Satan was thinking, ah, finally, this is what I've been waiting for. Jesus died on the cross. Satan thought he'd gained the victory. Three days later, Satan, or Jesus, rose again, showing Satan didn't have a victory. That was his ultimate defeat right there. Jesus has triumphed over them in the work he did. In dying on a cross, and rising again. See, we have the victory today. Regardless of what you might see going on in the world, and we see a lot of evil, and there's a lot of believers that focus on all the evil, and they just get, again, riddled with despair and fear. Now, would you recognize, simply, that Satan is on borrowed time? He knows that his end is near. He knows that Jesus has won the victory. Battle's been won. Satan is looking just to drag as many people down with him as he can. Don't worry about the stuff that's going on around you because what the enemy intends for good or for evil, God intends for good. And God does work good out of all that's going on. He's already done the ultimate good in dying for us, rising again, giving us life in him, securing the ultimate victory for us. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. It's already been secured for us. The resurrection proves that and assures us of what we have in Jesus. And take heart, my friends, be of good cheer. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but I've overcome the world, Jesus said. He's overcome the world. Every force, every evil work, he's overcome it. And we're his. He's forgiven us. He's brought us into relationship with him, praise the Lord for that. Victory is guaranteed because Jesus is alive. Nothing can come against us now that we are in him. The resurrection matters, my friends. May you know that forgiveness. May you be experiencing that peace of the Lord because of that and may you be walking in the victory that he's already secured for us because he is alive. Perhaps you've been feeling defeated or down Lacking this kind of assurance and life that He has for you in these last days that we've been living in. Maybe that's you that's been struggling through, but that can all change today simply by committing your life to Jesus. Saying, I don't wanna continue on my way any longer. I wanna go God's way. I wanna find life in Him. I wanna experience that forgiveness of sin. I wanna wanna experience that life in him. You can have that today freely by simply confessing your sin and your need for Jesus. He went to the cross because he loves you because he wants you to be in relationship with him, but your sin has cut us off from that. You need forgiveness and you need to accept that free gift now of his salvation by his grace. If that's you today and you're in need of that, would you call out to Jesus and simply pray a prayer of saying, Jesus, forgive me my sin. I recognize I'm a sinner, but I also confess my need for you. Come in and be my Lord and my Savior. Take over my life. And when you pray that, you become a born again child of God. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have life in him. Life now, the glorious, abundant life, and the promise of eternal life with him in heaven. There's no greater offer that you'll ever experience in this world. Receive that today, and if you do, would you let us know, write the church, email us, let us know, we'd love to send some things to you and be in touch with you. And if you're here today and you need that for yourself, and don't put that off, you don't know what's gonna happen to you on your way home, tomorrow, you don't know we we'll have another chance. Don't put that off. Give your life to Jesus, find that assurance of forgiveness, experience that peace and victory in Him, life is wrapped up in him. He's alive today, and I pray that you know that life. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you that you are alive today and you're meeting here with us right now. God, may we know and experience the blessed life that you've given us through the forgiveness of sin and the peace now that we have and that victory that we stand in. Lord, may we continue on in you. And, and make today and every day just all about you, Lord, as we commit our lives to you. Lead us on from here now, we pray in your name, amen.